Welcome to Endometriosis Summit, the podcast. If you have endometriosis, treat endometriosis, or love and support someone with endometriosis, then this is the podcast for you. In season two, we explore life surrounding endometriosis, be it your gut or connective tissue or trauma or relationships. This is the podcast that embraces all the things of endometriosis. Please join our hosts, our founders, Dr. Sally Sorrell, a pelvic physical therapist and person with endometriosis, and Dr. Andrea Vidali, an endometriosis excision specialist, reproductive immunologist, and founder of Predmune. The following episode discusses gut, endometriosis, and in particular, SIBO and your bowels. Any claims made made regarding drug use are the opinion of the speaker. They discuss off-label use, and we are not recommending this particular drug, nor is the speaker. Please speak to your medical provider regarding your medical care. Welcome to the Endometriosis Summit, the podcast. Joining me today to talk all about bowel and SIBO and everything that goes on with your gut during endometriosis is Dr. Murray Orbach. Dr. Orbach, can you introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Sally. Uh, My name is uh, Dr. Murray Orbach. I'm an assistant clinical professor of medicine and gastroenterology at the Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York and a clinical attending at the Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Uh, I'm in practice in gastroenterology uh, and have uh, taken a special clinical interest in the GI manifestations of endometriosis. And what led you to having that special interest in the GI manifestations of endometriosis? Well, it was kind of a long uh, path. Uh, as, as the years passed, as I f- completed my training and was in clinical practice, the accumulation of, of patients who were women with, uh, with uh, diagnoses of IBS and various abdominal pain syndromes, uh, without a clear explanation, uh, became quite numerous. And it was kind of bearing down on me in terms of trying to find a cause for all this. As chance would have it, my brother, uh, Dr. Lawrence Orbach, who's uh, now in Los Angeles, uh, had a uh, interest in endometriosis as a uh, endometriosis surgeon and gynecologist. So uh, often uh, patients that would come my way, we would collaborate on uh, patients that came his way. And it became apparent to me that many of the patients diagnosed with uh, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, and in fact also uh, inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, or ulcerative colitis, particularly Crohn's disease, uh, were in fact uh, not suffering from those ailments, but it, but that the, the root cause of these issues were undiagnosed endometriosis. And uh, many of the gastrointestinal manifestations that they've been treated for for sometimes a decade or more were in fact, uh, was in fact wrong. And that in fact, endometriosis was underlying many, if not all of their problems that they were suffering from. Yeah. When, um, I used to have a clinical practice as a pelvic physical therapist who specialized in endometriosis, I was 
amazed at the amount of young women you were able to break the cycle of this is IBS for years, like young women that went maybe to the student health center in college and were told you just have a stomach ache, try um, a diet, try this. You were able to really break that cycle and get them really good endometriosis care. What is something that you would like primaries or gastroenterologists to know about uh, young women or young people uh, assigned female at birth that um, may be complaining about some stomach aches, but it may be endometriosis and not IBS or any of your inflammatory diseases? I think it's a failure uh, in, in education and training uh, that the diagnosis is never entertained. Uh, just like, uh, you know, I remember when I was an intern a very long time ago, uh, I, I was doing my rotation through the Bellevue Hospital emergency room. And we had a, uh, the, the, uh, the head nurse there was the, was the actual titular head of the ER. Uh, and the fascinating thing about her is that the, she would take all the interns under her wing. She was about four foot nine and one tough lady. Uh, and she taught us, uh, the first thing she taught us and reminded us really was that a, a young woman comes in with abdominal pain. Uh, the three things you got to consider are ectopic pregnancy, ectopic pregnancy, ectopic pregnancy. Until you rule out those things, you don't move ahead. The same thing really should apply to uh, GI fellows and pediatricians and uh, internists and family practice uh, docs who are taking care of uh, young women uh, who are uh, uh, just started uh, having their periods or, or into their teens and come in with symptoms that can be uh, related to IBS. Very often, uh, inflammatory bowel disease was, was frequently missed, and I see this all the time, uh, by people either rushing through things or just not aware of the different disease processes. And they were simply ascribed as irritable bowel syndrome. And so... One thing we were always taught as fellows was to never pigeonhole anyone and think outside the box and try to consider all the different uh, the possible differential diagnoses. Endometriosis was not one of those. And it, it really needs to be something uh, taught every uh, physician, nurse practitioner, PA, uh, 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 and gastroenterologist who is uh, in training in order to make them aware of this. Uh, the, the, the incidence of endometriosis in the world depends on the region, but it could be as high as 10%. Uh, the, uh, the solution to, to, to endometriosis is not always surgery, and very often it is not, but in order to prevent the progression of the disease over time and its concomitant side effects, such as infertility, uh, dyspareunia, uh, abdominal pain, and IBS symptoms that are often crippling and disabling, you got to recognize early on that this is what might be going on. You got to consider it. If you don't consider it, we'll never find it. That is so very true. So what are some of the symptoms that um, people come to you complaining of stomach pain that may be endometriosis? Yes. So, uh, you know, very often, particularly with the younger patients, you'll have just simply uh, young women coming in with a complaint of uh, uh, I have a sensitive stomach. I've always had a sensitive stomach. Uh, I get anxious. I get cramps, abdominal pain, diarrhea. 
I get bloated after eating. I get uh, uh, just unexplained pains. My periods are so bad that, that I, I, I miss days of school each month. I, I, I can't uh, spend time with my friends and particularly with young women who are just becoming sexually active, the complaints of dyspareunia are something that are uh, difficult to get them to admit to. It's often they don't know what they should be expecting. And when the pain appears, they simply don't know what to do with it. Uh, one tip off I found with young women who are not sexually active is inquiring whether they use tampons uh, during their periods. And uh, the interesting finding is you'll, you'll find that many of the women who have uh, endometriosis in the uh, rectovaginal septum uh, and uh, have not been sexually active is that, that they can't insert a tampon because it hurts. So they just never use it. And they, have, they don't give a second thought to it. And that's something that they avoid. So it's, it's a matter of asking additional questions in, in, in addition to, are you having rectal bleeding? Are you any family history of inflammatory bowel disease or anything of the sort is, is really just adding a few more questions to your, your uh, history taking. And that may tip you off. Simple as that. Yeah, I think as a pelvic PT, I used to get a ton of young clients who would come to me, I'm constipated, I'm constipated, I'm constipated, and they would come to a, a pelvic PT seeking relief. But when you really delve into those questions, uh, which is, are you constipated more with your cycle? Uh, is there pain in specific areas? And you ask the hard questions like, does your constipation prevent you from having sex? Um, because that may open the door for them to talk about really if there's pain from that. Um, and I, I happen to work where I had a good GI to refer to, but what do you wish GIs understood about people coming in with all that bloating? We always talk about endo belly. What do you have to say about all that bloating yeah i mean you know again it's 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 the the uh thank you for mentioning the constipation part which i didn't, didn't mention a moment ago uh which is the other coin uh, of the of the ibs like symptoms and and these are the, the these are the people who are uh pigeonholed in the ibs c or ibs mixed and and inquiry is never done uh, deeper, often this, this sort of default diagnosis of IBS and, and, and people walk away is a common finding. The bloating, uh, as you alluded to, uh, is probably multifactorial. Uh, if the endometriosis is extensive, it uh, doesn't always have to be extensive, but if it's extensive and there's a lot of scarring in the, in the gut, uh, you know, you have impairment of the normal motility, normal motion of the rectum that, that is required in, in defecating, Often there's an associated pelvic floor dysfunction. Uh, there can develop uh, anorectal dyssynergy, which impairs the individual's ability to move their bowels on a day-to-day -day basis. And so you, you'll see a decline in frequency and effectiveness of bowel movements. Uh, again, the, 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 the problem with the, the, abdo the abdomen and the abdominal exam and, and people's history uh, really relates to the way the the, the nervous system wires the gut for a pain. Uh, very often it is, it is not precise in terms of localizing where the discomfort is. The discomfort can be very, very generalized, particularly with endometriosis where the implants can be throughout the pelvis and the abdomen. Uh, it's a highly inflammatory condition. 
And so in all likelihood, it's not been very, very well studied, in, in all likelihood, this chronic underlying abdominal inflammation may perhaps impair the gut's normal motility. So uh, the, 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 the gut is not a static thing. So the small bowel will have wa uh, waves that, uh, stripping waves that will clear out the contents of the small bowel into the colon. The, 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 the function of the gut people don't realize Whereas the stomach's job is to mechanically crush food, small intestine's job is to take the very tiny particles uh, uh, in the presence of enzymes that are then excreted into the gut to break down the foods that you're eating into its constituent um, uh, tiny compounds uh, that, that make up these larger molecules of carbohydrates, starch, and proteins, and then absorb them into the gut. What remains uh, at the end of the small intestine, that what, what exits the small intestine, the small intestine is you know, six, seven meters long, uh, is simply water, uh, 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 dietary fiber that hasn't been able to break down and bacteria. So if the gut, if the small bowel is, is not propelling things forward and clearing itself out very much, bacteria will linger. Uh, and these bacteria very often are fermenters. So in their life cycle, they will simply start breaking down uh, nutrients that should, should be meant for the consumer rather than the bacteria. And in their life cycle, we'll, we'll start giving off methane and hydrogen in addition to other gases, depending on what they're breaking down. And that results in this, ext this, this extensive bloating gas and distension. The, the gas uh, has nowhere to go but up or down. And very often it stays static and the individual has a difficult time uh, mobilizing it, and they feel absolutely miserable and distended and bloated for, for you know, constantly for, for days and weeks on end. Constantly. And how long does it take someone to finally make it to you and be taken seriously about that bloating and constipation and get the referral that you that they need? How long do you think that takes? Uh, it's kind of shocking. If uh, just, just my anecdotal experience, it could be uh, several, several gynecologists and gastroenterologists, sometimes up to seven or eight of each before someone, you know, for that, that, uh, that becomes aware. And, and the, the, the fault again, not, doesn't lie with the individual physicians as being lax or, or sloppy. It simply is just that the awareness is not out there uh, for the, for the, for the healthcare providers, physicians, NPs, uh, uh, PAs to, to consider that as a diagnosis. And that's really the biggest problem. Uh, very often patients have made the diagnosis themselves. They are their wit's end, or they have a friend they've heard of that, that had the diagnosis of endometriosis, went to surgery, and then it occurs to them, they have the exact same symptoms. Yeah, it's very important that education to um, physicians and uh, also practitioners. And so that's one of the things with the endometriosis summit that we wanted to do that was different. We wanted patients and doctors to be on even footing so that everybody could educate each other. But beginning in 2021, we started a third day that was for um, physicians to educate other practitioners and doctors in the field, because who else better to talk about endometriosis than those that work in endometriosis. So, um, and our hope is that now we're going to, um, be in a facility that comes with the CEUs for nurses and PAs, because we all know when your stomach hurts and you go to the primary, the first person you see is either the nurse practitioner 
or the PA. I wonder, so that um, cycle of the methane and the gas, and does that have a name with the fermentation? Uh, no, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's really it's an overgrowth. So it's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And you know, th this fermentation process is a common thing. The, the gut, the colon included, uh, is, is, is critically involved in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the generation of critical vitamins and nutrients. And very often they only are created by, by bacterial action. So like everything else in, in, in the human body or in the body of any living creature is the yin and the yang of, of, of creation, of balance. And when you lose that balance, very often is when trouble sets in. So uh, in the case of uh, you know, women with endometriosis or people with endometriosis, is that the, the, in all likelihood, the motility, the clearance of the contents of the gut is, is disordered because of the underlying endometriosis. And do you feel that um, the adhesions and or the delay of diagnosis contributes to the um, presence of the, what I call SIBO, you're not quite going that far. But do you think the delay of diagnosis and adhesions themselves contribute to that? Absolutely. Uh, it's it's uh, as you as again you alluded to. It's a multifactorial thing. So the longer you remain undiagnosed, uh, and the longer that these implants uh, are continually stimulated throughout the year, and as they recede after they're hormonally stimulated, uh, the the uh, adhesions develop, and they can be absolutely frightful. Uh, to the point where in some cases I've seen simply locked pelvises. And so uh, the, the entire pelvis is socked in with, uh, with, with scar tissue, uh, adhesions. And again, uh, you know, in order to clear contents out, the exit from the human body, the, the, the rectum uh, needs to go through mechanical steps to straighten itself out in order for you to allow to, you to, go to, to, to move your bowels. And when every, all the contents of the human pelvis, particularly the female pelvis, has so many structures in it that, that come together in a very small space. These adhesions will bind uh, disparate structures to each other, will, will can encase the ureters, and a woman comes in with multiple bouts of urinary tract infections or pyelonephritis, kidney infections. Uh, the bladder can't empty properly because the urethra is encased. Uh, you know, the, as we mentioned before, uh, sexual dysfunction because of uh, dyspareunia, because the again the the uh, the septum that that separates the rectum and the vagina uh, can be socked in with uh, scar tissue, and any torsion or any movement of the vagina pulls on the structures that it happens to be connected to by by scar tissue. So the scar tissue not only probably also contributes to an impaired normal uh, motility through the the gastrointestinal tract. It will be a, a great factor in the dysfunction of other organs uh, and pelvic pain as well. Do you feel that just having a surgery or just getting rid of the endometriosis is enough for the for everyone with um, bowel issues to restore their function 100 percent? Yeah, that, that's a misimpression. Uh, the surgery is not the 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 end, the surgery is really the beginning of the process of, 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 of resolving the issue. Because of the inflammation, the nervous system is essentially hyped up in a way very much akin to irritable bowel syndrome, where you are, you, you are hypersensitive to stimulus. You feel things that, 
that other people probably wouldn't, motion of gas through the bowel, uh, pain, discomfort. So you, you have other things going on that go well beyond simply the mechanical removal of the, uh, the endometrial implants, which we can get to, which is another problem in terms of the philosophy of the way surgeons address it. And so uh, once the, the, the implants, if the surgery, the excisional surgery is complete, no matter how complete it is, you, you still remain very often with issues of a weak pelvic floor, of anorectal dysynergy, where your body has now unlearned the things that learned when you were two and a half years old to, to go to the bathroom. And you have to really be retaught how to properly move things. And you have to also, uh, there are other adjacent structures that may become dysfunctional. Like uh, one particular problem is the puborectalis muscle. It's a sling muscle that goes from the pubic bone around the bottom of the rectum that needs to relax when you move your bowels. At times it can become, a, it can become hypertrophic and at times it could become hypertrophic and also paradoxically contract when it's supposed to relax. And so it's essentially not functioning. It's, a, it's, 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 a, it's a, an outlet dysfunction. So that's another one of these conditions that we see that needs to be carefully evaluated by modalities like a, a plain physical exam can actually tell whether there's something wrong with that. Uh, anorectal manometry, which is another underutilized uh, modality. And another one, which is again, underutilized only because of the cost is an MR defecography, which is an unbelievably excellent study, which tells us a dynamic study, which tells us a lot of, of what is going wrong when it does. And so using a pelvic floor PT uh, to help matters, but in a directed fashion. So they're not simply generically treating some uh, presumed abnormality, but telling the PT, you have pelvic floor dysfunction that we're dealing or you have anorectal dysynergy that we're treating with, with Botox injection to the puborectalis muscle that allow it to relax is really key. Uh, some other, other modalities which are you know, uh, gaining uh, appreciation but remain still uh, a little bit uh, controversial are trigger point injections to reduce the, the pain that, that people experience. And the pain could be pretty crippling and it may take a while using SSRIs to downregulate uh, to, 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 uh, to change the threshold where, where pain or discomfort is sensed is another uh, addendum to, to physical therapy. So it really is a, a multi-specialty, uh, multidisciplinary approach to the patient after surgery. And are there um, ways to approach that intestinal overgrowth from a GI perspective in terms of either diet or pharmaceuticals? Um, and what would be the testing someone would need before that? So the, uh, yeah, so the, the, you know, the dietary approach is probably the easiest and quickest to, to, to affect an immediate change without having to resort to form, uh, pharmacologic therapy or other, other agents. And you know, the, the, the food uh, items that tend to be the, the most offensive are cruciferous vegetables, uh, which again, will have complex carbohydrates that are fermented and provide substrate to the bacteria that's overgrown. Uh, beans, legumes, lentils, uh, oatmeal uh, is particularly bad. It's got soluble fiber that, that the bacteria love to munch on in the gut. Uh, and so, and some people will complain with garlic, some with onions, some with peppers. And you have to really, if you, if you again, spend the time asking them what bothers them, they'll tell you. And you know, it's, it's the old saw where the old man goes to uh, the doctor and the doctor says, you know, he goes to the doctor, it hurts when I do this doc. So the doctor goes, just don't do that. 
So if you can identify the, 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 uh, the foods, uh, that may uh, provide substantial relief. Uh, an elimination diet by going to an elemental diet and then slowly adding small things on may be the best at identifying the, the offending uh, food items. Uh, the diagnostic test, the, the, the uh, lactulose or glucose hydrogen breath test uh, is done properly by people who are actually calibrating the machines and, and taking the time can, can offer a tremendous answer when none has been had for years of the presence of bacterial overgrowth. And just to familiarize people, so you, you will drink either glucose or lactulose. Lactulose is an alcohol sugar. And the machine will, uh, you blow into a machine every 20 minutes or half hour, depending on how they do it for something like 90 minutes, uh, 100 120, 160, sometimes a little longer to determine whether in fact there's overgrowth. So when you provide the gut with the substrate, within a certain amount of time, when, when the glucose or lactulose hits the small bowel, uh, the, the bacteria will begin fermenting it. And so you're simply measuring uh, hydrogen and methane at baseline and hydrogen and methane at certain points along the timeline after the administration of the, of the, of the, uh, of the substrate. Do you always order the test for SIBO or do you feel that if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it is a duck and it's time to have the patient do some of the interventions they can do and some of the interventions you can do? Yeah, often it's really the, it's, it, the, it's the comfort of the, the patients. Very often with SIBO that is associated with uh, uh, SIBO that's associated with, uh, with IBS-like symptoms, IBSD-like symptoms, um, it's typically hydrogen overgrowth. And so if the patient is comfortable with being treated with, with uh, an agent like Zyfaxan, which is, uh, its generic name is Rifaximin, and it's a, a non-absorbed antibiotic, uh, then I will administer it to them. Uh, if the, the test is available, and very often the, the, the uh, SIBO breath test is not immediately available in, in every place. Uh, even in New York, uh, the number of, of people that I can send them to that will accept insurances and such are, are limited. So, uh, uh, you know, you, you have to have your, your crew of people who do the test in the office uh, that it can get done. Uh, in, in, in instances that you mentioned that constipation uh, that may be uh, secondary to endometriosis, very often those cases are more, more associated with an overgrowth of uh, methane as well either alone or in combination with, with, uh, with hydrogen. And we often treat them with a different pair of antibiotics, rifaximin and neomycin. There are other antibiotics that we use which are absorbed, which, which are probably reasonably effective, but they have their own side effects because they are absorbed systemically. Uh, so it, it, you know, for, to, to have a thorough, clean understanding of what's going on, I prefer to do the breath test. Uh, if, if the patient is uncomfortable and you cannot uh, get it quickly, then there's, and, and the patient is comfortable with, with getting the antibiotics, there's no, and you're able to get it through the insurance company, uh, there's really no downside at, at trying it because, again, they're not absorbed. Right. Many times the test is not covered by insurance. And by the time someone with endometriosis gets to the point where they can have the breath test, they've spent a lot of their money on care already. So yeah. a lot of patients do opt to try the antibiotics because they don't have that, um, su such side effects as trying it for no reason. 
I, I wonder how common is reflux in the endometriosis population, but also in this SIBO crowd as well? Well, you know, it, it, it's the, some of these upper GI symptoms are relatively vague because you'll have abdominal bloating, distension. Uh, again, it needs to be studied better, but if, if inflammation may be the putative cause of some of the, you know, the uh, delayed uh, motility of the, of the small bowel, it's utterly and completely conceivable that it may affect the, the stomach as well. Um, uh, the GERD symptoms I see intermittently, but you know, there's so much overlap the reflux symptoms are so common in general. So I, I can't tell whether it's it's due to, to it's there anyway, or it's due to the endometriosis. So I can't, I can't say that I, I have a strong impression one way or the other. I see the GERD every day as a practitioner. And I sort of look at it in that um, way that if the SIBO is creating uh, a methane or or another or a hydrogen gas inside the belly. Then, if it's not, it's gotta it puts pressure on the esophagus. Now, that's not an, a research thing, but pretty much the majority of my patients who have untreated and undiagnosed SIBO have really bad reflux post excision. Prior to excision, there's lots of other reasons, but I also see reflux for the same reason with pelvic floor dysfunction. Yeah. If, yeah, if the outlet's not opening, everything's going to go somewhere. Yeah, and, and also it may, it may hint at a more, a more global a delay, more global uh, aberration of, of gut motility. And so again, you know, realizing that the gut begins with the, with the, with the pharynx and goes all the way down to the, to the rectum and the anus, you got a lot of territory to cover and they're all innervated uh, continuously from, from one end to the next. And so what affects one part may very well affect another part. So it's, 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 it's very likely that there's some factor, uh, that there's some common factor uh, uh, you know, causing these issues. It's so fascinating. I wonder, is it chronic um, or do you treat SIBO once and then it goes away? Uh, sadly enough, if the underlying issue uh, does not uh, go away, in other words, the, the, the aberration, the normal uh, gut uh, motility, it can often recur. So a, a dietary uh, mindfulness, uh, avoiding fermentables, uh, is really the wiser things. And, and you know, if, if someone is already lactose intolerant or is a, a, has a, some degree of fructose malabsorption, uh, there may be issue with overgrowth on that basis alone that's dietary. So you, you have to really uh, make them aware of all the possibilities and try to limit these, these, these exacerbating uh, factors. And so, you know, interestingly enough, there's a, an agent called frucalipride, which is uh, marketed as Motegrity, for chronic constipation, different than the other two agents that we have now, True Lance and Lizesse, uh, in that it is a it it, it enhances the, the motility of the colon. So uh, again, a good subject for some future study of to see whether that particular agent in individuals who, for example, have a chronic constipation and endometriosis who've been excised, whose whose nominal GI function of uh, pelvic floor is, 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 is okay or, or reasonably okay, whether that will uh, reduce uh, the, the SIBO symptoms because it enhances the clearance of, 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 of things from the GI tract. So, because that, that agent may in fact also affect the stomach 
in a, in a, in a positive way. So it remains to be studied. Yeah, it would be fascinating with the crowd that has some bowel adhesions to see um, what some something like that would do. That's yeah, a little, yeah. Right, but the release, you know, but th those medications are often contraindicated in adhesions because it actually can result in obstruction. So relieving those adhesions become really, really critical. And so a good endosurgeon, uh, sadly enough, if there are 100 or 150 throughout uh, the United States, uh, I would probably be overstating the case, will spend hours teasing apart adhesions, searching very carefully for every tiny little implant that they can visualize by whatever means they, they can try to, to, to make them become more apparent. Uh, and really just setting straight the, the, the contents of the abdominal cavity where they ought to be and not in a distorted fashion. A good hint of how, how crazy things can get. Uh, I mean, you, the distortions that I've seen on imaging of the uterus and the, and the fallopian tubes and the ovaries in someone who has advanced endometriosis, it's crazy. I mean, you have uh, uh, ovaries in places that they shouldn't be, uh, fallopian tubes in places that they ought not to be. Uh, the uterus is, is completely out of, out of place. So there's a lot of work to do when you actually go into the surgery. And it's really, it's underappreciated by the insurance companies who would love to punt it down the, the line and, and pretend it's not a problem. And it very often either underpays the, the, the price of the surgery you know, we're not here talking about cost of stuff, but in order to get people involved in doing the surgery, uh, there has to be some sort of, uh, you know, appreciation of how much time it takes. Uh, and so when insurance companies think it's a, it's a little bit of a joke and don't take seriously the pain, suffering, the, the effect on a woman's day-to-day -day life and, and her fertility, her, her sexual health, or, and ultimately her, her, her psychological well-being, uh, nothing changes, and they're they're unfortunately they're a, a tremendous op obstacle in addition to the awareness of the disease. Right. So this Dr. Orbach um, has to join us at our big conference um, for 2022. But we always have an entire panel on really like trying to come to a consensus about how we can move endometriosis forward. Because if we wait for the insurance companies to get a standard of care say from a national organizing body like ACOG, it may never happen. So there's lots of things that need to happen. I wonder just shifting back to um, the bowel, how do you, are there things that you advise? Um, usually uh, GIs don't do this, but are there herbs or anything that you advise people take to sort of hold their SIBO at bay or you really encourage lifestyle changes more? Well, thanks for thanks for raising that particular thing because it's it's been an issue that there are some some small studies uh, uh, that have suggested that some of the uh, herbal uh, antibacterials uh, uh, may have benefit in suppressing the, the, the regrowth of uh, repopulation of of, of, uh, of the back of the fermenting bacteria. Uh, I, I've used them with mixed results. I can't say that I've had uniform benefit. In some patients, they will uh, hold off the need for antibiotics uh, by many months. And very often within a year or so, you'll have a recurrence of the SIBO symptoms. And they may have a, a place in um, uh, just controlling the regrowth of these bacteria. But again, I think that there are other factors involved, uh, the intrinsic bowel motility, the ability for it to clear out bacteria uh, effectively and on a regular basis that may be more 
uh, instrumental at preventing the recurrence of symptoms. But I think there's a place for the herbals. Uh, you gotta try them uh, to see if they work. There's, no, there's generally no downside. Some, you know, some people will complain of some uh, GI upset, but for the most part, it's they either work or they don't. Uh, but they're worth a shot because you're avoiding uh, another course of antibiotics that can be expensive. And again, our friendly insurance companies have uh, issues with Zyfaxan, Rifaximin, because it is it is not inexpensive, but a lot of them refuse to cover it. Several insurance plans in, in New York, where I practice, that adamantly refuse to have it on their formula. Other ones require you to jump through uh, hoops in order to prescribe it. So if you're a physician listening, you got to use a good uh, uh, pharmacy that that will pre will, will work with you to pre-authorize it because it, sometimes it's a struggle. Right. It it is it is certainly a struggle. Uh, my particular insurance only likes to do like I get a certain amount per lifetime. And so for every time I've ever, I don't know why the surgery triggers the SIBO, but every time I've ever had surgery, I've needed to do four to six weeks of the antibiotic. And then I use the herbal regimen um, to hold it at bay unless I eat something that has cauliflower or chickpeas in it. So there's no cauliflower, rice or hummus in my life. And then, and then it's gone. And I think um, a lot of times with an elimination diet, it's not about here's a list of 47 foods that you can't ever have again, because that leads to some eating disordered behavior, but it's about finding the one trigger. Unfortunately, the other trigger, our favorite fermented food happens to be wine. So tequila only for me. Yeah. Do you, yeah, tequila only. So um, I wonder, do people come to you and they've just spent years trying diets and they don't understand it's endometriosis or something else? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they're often, honestly, when, when they, I see them, they are often at wit's end, uh, which is really horrific to see someone who's in their 20s uh, at wit's end and then someone who's in their 30s at, at double wit's end. And uh and it's, it's, it's painful to watch because it's really affected their personal and professional lives and limited them. And so, uh, you know, it's again, going back to the beginning of, of, of uh, the awareness of medical providers uh, of, the, of the problem. Um, I also want to just go back a step. The, uh, the manufacturer of, uh, I just want to shout out to Salix that makes and mar that markets uh, Rifaximin, Cifaxin in North America. Uh, in my experience, they've been unbelievably supportive uh, in instances where the insurance company is, uh, is, is, is just being uh, recalcitrant and resistant, despite objective evidence of SIBO on the breath test, they have been always kind to help uh, with either the approval process or providing samples to, uh, to patients for whom I cannot get anything from the insurance companies. So, you know, that's, that's really been a help. Uh, there are some uh, Canadian pharmacies that are, are uh, able to get them for patients as well. So. Uh, one should not fret that the, the insurance their plan doesn't uh, doesn't cover it. There are ways around it, uh, and I recommend that you either reach out to Salix uh, on their website for for patient assistance, or uh, search out the Canadian pharmacies that you can get it. Your physician can work with them. Right, I've had many a patient who has reached out and um, to the drug company and either gotten samples like you described, or they've, um, they used to give a coupon so that it became 
affordable to get. Um, very much like there was a, a nasal anti-inflammatory we used to use that no insurance company would cover. And the company also issued. So there are some, we talk about lots of things. Pharma doesn't do great for endometriosis, but there are some really great companies out there looking to serve and help adjunct care. You know, I, because we have a little bit of that fertility component to the endometriosis summit, because we work with Dr. Vidali, um, I see a lot of 40 year olds who don't realize how involved their bowel pain has been in there. Oh, my stomach. I've always had a sensitive stomach. It doesn't mean that that can't be why I'm not getting pregnant. How often as a GI, do you see that side of things? Or are they just done by 40 going and seeking help? No, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a recurrent thing that you notice. Uh, uh, the, uh, I've, had, I've had a few women who come in who are just having you know, the usual typical exacerbation of either the constipation, which never goes away, the pain, the bloating, you know, the IBS symptoms. They've had five upper endoscopies and 12 colonoscopies, and each time they've, sit, they've shown nothing. And why someone repeats the same thing, expecting a different outcome, remains to me unclear. It, it violates Einstein's adage of uh, repeating the same experiment over and over again, expecting a different outcome. Uh, and uh, so I've had more than a few women come in uh, almost toward the end of their 30s, where just an incidental question on my part, uh, about their, you know, their uh, uh, ability to bear children uh, will get me a surprise answer. Yes, I've gone to some infertility docs, they couldn't do anything, uh, or I've, you know, I just gave up and you know, I tried uh, IVF and it was not explored enough. You know, places like, for example, uh, the, there are some uh, inf uh, fertility uh, centers uh, in larger cities that are affiliated with university medical centers. And I have to say that, the docs there are much more tuned to the, the problem of endometriosis. If a woman is uh, 30 something or other and has been evaluated for, for infertility, uh, if you haven't entertained endometriosis early on, among the first things that you're considering, you, you haven't done your job. And in my experience in, in, in a large center with, with really phenomenal uh, medical centers is that it's, it's less the case and it's become less of a problem over time. But I, I have in the past on a regular basis seen women coming in in their late 30s and it's never been entertained. You, you quickly send them to surgery. And um, uh, um, I had, a, there was, a, there was a, another uh, anecdote. I had a woman coming in, she was like in her 36, 37, chronic IBS symptoms, she just moved to New York from, from some smaller city. And asking her the questions, it became obvious to me that she, she very likely had endometriosis. Uh, sent her off to the to an endosurgeon who immediately did excisional surgery, and then he calls me up uh, a year later because the, the woman showed up back post-op for her post-op uh, uh, check, and then came back a year later for follow-up, and she was she was uh, four months pregnant. And it was the first time she was able to conceive in all her adult life, and it was it was clearly due to that. So. You know, endosurgeons a good one. Their greatest joy is simply having a collection of pictures of small babies that they were instrumental uh, in, in allowing to happen. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing. We talk a lot of, with the endometriosis summit about the quality of life side of things. But I think when it comes to fertility, 
a lot of people don't make that connection that their stomach aches are part of their infertility. Well, well, well this is this is part of changing the mindset. I mean, I, I've had my own uh, run-ins with with uh, insurance companies and uh, and uh, and uh, institutions about this and uh, why this is being pursued when someone is nineteen or twenty. Uh, if you don't fix it when they're nineteen or twenty, you'll end up with a woman in her late 30s has been unable to, to conceive in addition to having a, a, a rather limited quality of life because of the condition. Yeah, and that's what ultimately all of us that participate here are trying to prevent, you know, that you've given a, a career and research to trying to prevent that and so have we. So as we begin to wrap up, I wonder if you could give us three action statements that you want people to know about the gut and endometriosis and enabling their care to be better. Uh, I think it's it, because of the 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 because of the uh, awareness that's only growing now among health professionals regarding endometriosis. It becomes important that uh, uh, young women, in particular, because that's one that really presents. Uh, are, are aware uh, of, of what may be going on. Uh, and it needs to be something that's taught uh, in, you know, in, in high school when they, they're teaching biology, teaching you know, health and, and that sort of thing, wellness to kids. Uh, and then don't sit and suffer for, uh, for years. And don't let someone tell you that you're crazy or, or just blow you off. Uh, that's going on, that, that nothing is going on. Something's clearly going on, you're not well, uh, you know, and, you got to go to someone who knows how to sort it through and don't don't take no for an answer if they have given you no reasonable solution to the problem and that's really that's really you know you have to self advocate it's really the bottom line yes that is so very true before we wrap up dr orbuck how can people reach you um, and get in touch with you so you can do oh, more podcasts oh sure uh, i have uh, my my practice has a website it's uh, a murray orbach md.com m u r r a y o r b u c h m d.com uh, i practice in in, in manhattan uh, the uh, my office uh, is is located in two locations in manhattan our general number is 2126880813 uh, my email address is uh, m.orbuchmd@gmail.com and uh, happy to, uh, to see if I, I can be of assistance and direct you to my colleagues who are likewise aware of uh, what's what's going on. We were so happy to have you here today. I wonder, do you are you still doing telehealth or telehealth has ended for you? It, it's it's starting to wane uh, as people are less frightened of going outdoors, uh, which is a wonderful thing to see because of, uh, particularly in Manhattan, life was uh, was moribund and 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 gone for months at a time. But people are beginning to to uh, to hop out as their vaccination rate succeeds seventy or eighty percent in certain populations, which is wonderful to see. Yeah, it's great to see. Um, where I was was pretty much open the whole time. So, but then when I came back to New Jersey to watch it open, it was just great. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you will join us the first weekend in March. Um, we'll, we'll put something together so that we can talk about gut to this extent. And um, I look forward to everybody contacting you and to continuing the discussion on bowel and endometriosis. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to chat about this. And, and uh, you know, I, I laud you for, for this really rather important effort 
to uh, to reach out to so many people who who have gone uh, uh, unaddressed with their with their real serious issues. And so I have to thank you as well. Awesome. Like what you hear? You have two options. One, hit the subscribe button and never miss out on an episode. Two, become a supporter of the Endometriosis Summit. Your small donations go a long way for ensuring open and honest discourse about endometriosis. Link to support on our anchor profile.